All right. Well, men's retreat next weekend. Let me encourage you to go. Some women have asked if they could cut their hair short. No, you can't. But um, do encourage your husbands and um, those other guys that you know to go. It's you know the Lord spent time getting away with the with His heavenly Father, and especially times like now, it's easy just to say, "Well, I can't. I'm too busy." Or may we never be too busy to hang out with the Lord. Amen. So let me encourage you. You know, really pray about going, and uh, it's going to be a great time. Uh, also, again, the building situation in Scotts Valley. We want God's will to be done. You know that my number one heart as your pastor is that the number one reason I went back to work a year and a half ago was the burden I had to better be able to minister, most specifically to our children, but also to just have a place that is home every day where more ministry can take place. And so just be praying God's will be done. We don't want it unless God wants it. Amen. But we're excited if that's what he wants to do. All right. Well, this morning, um, Pastor Bill and I joke that nobody has worse, I don't like the word luck, but uh, computers. I don't like them. I just don't. People, you know, I, I work on computers. Man, you're killing me. But here's the truth. Here's the truth. I have more, you ask Pastor Bill, my computer crashes more than any 10 people I know. It's just amazing. And so last night, most of you know, I work a full-time job, so I study on Saturday nights. Four o'clock in the morning, my computer decided to quit completely. And so I was continuing to try to prepare for the message this morning. And you know me, I, I like Greek and Hebrew and all the stuff that I have on my computer. And, and so I used to just get frustrated when this would happen. And now what I do is I say, okay, Lord, you're sovereign over my computer. Amen. And so you know that you must want me to teach something else this morning. I used to get frustrated because I'm so about staying on task and teaching through the text. So this morning, we're going to teach something else. I prayed about it, and I feel like the Lord is uh, wanting me to share with you this morning from Titus chapter 2. So turn your Bibles to Titus chapter 2. A lot of you know where this is going already, don't you? Certainly a chapter that has uh, greater significance in my life today than it did just a month ago. And so a lot of what I'm going to share is certainly from my heart as your pastor, but from the heart of a father. And, uh, you know, I just trust that God, God always knows what he's doing. He's always right on time. Amen? Well, just to bring you up to speed, Titus is one of the three pastoral epistles written by the Apostle Paul. And this one's written to a young pastor by the name of Titus. And he's exhorting him basically to get the early church in order. He's giving him some very practical things about how the church should function. How sound doctrine should not only be protected, but also how it should be practiced. And so the first chapter, he talks about how to protect sound doctrine. And how do they do that? By appointing godly elders, by preaching the word of God, by silencing false teachers. So getting the church in order first by the protection of sound doctrine. And then secondly, in chapters 2 and 3, he talks about how to put it into practice. Sound doctrine, doctrine just a big word for truth. How to practice the truth. How to implement the truth into the church. And if anything is lacking in our country today, it's truth. Amen? And the text we'll be looking at when we get back to 1 John is just that, that we need to be relying upon the truth that is only found in the Word of God. And then to see that not only do we protect that truth, but we 
put it into our lives and sound doctrine ought to impact the way that we behave. That when we study the Word of God, it should result in holy living. So, I titled the message, Behavior Becoming of Belief, the Practice of Sound Doctrine. We looked at this some time back when we were going through Titus. Here are the five areas, and if, if you don't qualify for one of these, you're not paying attention. Here's what they are. The practice of sound doctrine in the life of an older man, in the life of an older woman, in the life of a younger woman, in the life of a young man, and in the actions of Christian servants and employees. So, that's everybody, amen? Now, you might be debating whether or not you're on the young side or the old side, I'm thinking I'm young, right? I'm not Methuselah. He lived at 960. I mean, hey, I'm a lot younger than that. But the truth is that God has a plan and direction and a practice for every one of us in the body of Christ. And my exhortation this morning to all of us, and certainly it's always right on time when God does this, is that as we prepare and potentially move on to a new phase in the body of Calvary Chapel Santa Cruz, may it go beyond us moving location, but may there be a greater stirring of the Holy Spirit in the lives of every person that's here this morning. Amen? That we would go beyond just being a part of the body to an active part of the body. From those who sit back and are ministered to, and certainly we want you to come and be ministered to and loved on and fed, but Lord, may you take it beyond us just being fed to us feeding others, to us ministering to others, to us using our gifts. And so as we see this, we're going to see that God has a role for every one of us in the local church body. So let's begin in Titus chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. He's already told them to to protect sound doctrine, and now he's going to tell them how to put it into practice. These are things that should be happening in the church, Titus. You're the young pastor. You have headship over it. Exhort your people with these things. He says this, But as for you, Titus, speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Teach the people what sound doctrine will look like practically in their lives. When you get up, do not water it down. Don't be someone who's trying to win a popularity contest with people. Instead, exhort them with the truth of the Word of God. Boy, we need some more people to do that today. Amen? Those who speak the truth, do it always in love, but speak the things which are proper to live a holy and set-apart life. We live in a world today of moral relativism where we try to compare ourselves with others. You've heard me say it many times before. God doesn't grade on a curve. He grades at the cross. Amen? It's not how we do compared to other people. It's who we are with Jesus Christ that matters. And once we've truly come to know Him, now it ought to be reflected in our behavior. It ought to be reflected in how we live our lives. We ought to be different than the world. So now He's going to go into each of these different groups of people. And He starts off by speaking to the older men. And here's what He says. So speak the things which are proper for sound doctrine. Here's what they are, in case you were wondering. That the older men be sober. Sober. The word sober there means calm and well-balanced. A steady person, in contrast to the wildness and flightiness that is often associated with youth. Steadiness that results from sound doctrine and spiritual maturity. You know what I love about hanging out with people and walking with God for a long time? Their walk is not like this. Amen? Just kind of on like this. You know, the circumstances can be rough. It doesn't matter. 
Because you know what? God is still in control. He's as much in control when everything's perfect as when everything is seemingly falling apart all around you. Amen? But as you walk with God over time, you become sober-minded. Where in the midst of the storm, you remember who's in control. You're not someone who's tossed to and fro by, by every wind of doctrine. And that so often is what happens to someone who's spiritually immature. Their walk with God is based solely on their current circumstances. Guys, if you're only happy when your circumstances are perfect, you're not going to be happy very often. Amen? But if you have joy, because you have an eternal perspective, you can have joy no matter what's going on around you. And the mark of a spiritually mature man is steadiness in the midst of things going on around you, a spiritual maturity that is unwavering, that isn't impacted by what's happening in the world, but instead is steadfast because of who we are in the Lord. Amen? So here's what he's saying to older men. If you've been walking with God for a while, can I encourage you? This should be a reflection of who you are. You should not be someone who's all over the map. We should be able, uh, younger believers should be able to look at you and see an example of one who remains steadfast, who's unwavering regardless of the circumstances. But not only must he be sober, but he is also to be reverent. The word reverent, again, ties into sober, to be serious-minded, dignified, and respectable. An older man, a spiritual man, is not a clown. He's not, and again, I'm not saying he doesn't have a sense of humor, he's not fun to be around, but he's not somebody who, again, is you know, out of control. One who, he's one who commands respect by the way he lives his life. He's a man who acts his age. You know, older men are to be respected. Boy, have we lost that. Amen? What happened to sir? What happened to mister and sir? And I think we lose it sometimes when we tell young kids to call us by our first name. I think mister and sir is okay. I think they need to learn a little respect. It's all right. And you know what? We need to honor those who God, who've walked with God for a long time. I love to surround myself with those people. I love to get counsel from them, those who've been walking with the Lord. And this is a mark of a man who's spiritually mature. He's a man who is sober-minded, and he's a man who's reverent. He's a man who can be respected. And guys, our respect is not earned only by our age, but by our behavior. It says there he's sober, he's reverent, He's temperate. The word temperate there means self-controlled. He lives a well-balanced life. Again, he's not subject to high highs and low lows. He doesn't get easily worked up. He's much more stable than that. He's seen things come and go and he doesn't panic. He knows they will pass. An older man to a younger man can tell him, look, bro, look young man, it's not the end of the world. I've been where you are. God is faithful. That's a spiritually mature man. And we need those men. Now you might be sitting here saying, well, I don't really have the right to quote, speak into someone else's life or to encourage somebody else. If you're a part of this body, you absolutely have it. And you know what? As you walk with the Lord, young men, as we'll see, will be seeking you out for counsel. But we need those who are, whether they're elders or not in word, they are in deed and in action where you can look and you can see what a godly man looks like. He's an example. I'll be real honest with you. There are times when I look around and I see someone counseling somebody and I have to, I have to tell you, I just say, praise God. 
because I know the heart of the man who's counseling the other man, and I know he's a godly man and a reverent man, and he's a man who's sober-minded, who walks in spiritual maturity, and I know that at that moment, God is speaking, and I'm encouraged by that, and we need more of that. If you've been walking with the Lord a long time, don't hide it. Don't hide your light under a bushel. Be available. We should never be too busy to minister to the body of Christ. Amen? Well, I got all these other responsibilities. Yes, you do. And one of your responsibilities is to minister to other believers. Amen? And to be salt and light to a world that doesn't know God yet. So he's sober, he's reverent, he's temperate. And then it says, he is sound in faith. He's tested, having tested the grace of God, having stepped out in faith and seen God come through time and time again. You know, one of the things I love, you know, hey, I'm just going to be, you know, this will shock you. I'm, I'm going to be real transparent with you this morning. You know, for us to move into a building in the midst of this economy, from the world's perspective, does not make a lick of sense. What are you thinking? Are you crazy? But guys, here's what's encouraging to me. I have had so many pastors who I respect, men who've walked with God a long time, who've called me and said, Dave, you have to do it. You have to do it because this is the next step. This is what God has for you. God, and you know what they say? I've been right where you are. We stepped out in faith and we saw God show up mightily. And guys, if we don't step out, we miss out on watching the Jordan River part. Amen? And there's a time when we need to step out in faith. And a man of spiritual maturity, an older man is one who doesn't just know about faith in theory, but has seen it as an active part of his own life, as he's taken some scary steps, but seen God show up. And guys, there's a confidence when you've seen God show up again and again and again. Amen? You can turn to a young man. You can turn to someone else as these pastors have turned to me. Say, Pastor Dave, you know what? We've seen it. God's faithful. you got to do it. And you know what? We're stepping out in faith, trusting that where God guides indeed, God does provide. Amen? He's a faithful God, and he wants to do great and awesome things. So he's sound in faith. And boy, we need some of that. Again, we're living in a time where our faith is being tested. Amen? But a faith that cannot be tested is a faith that cannot be trusted. And so our faith needs to be put to the test or it's not faith. It's easy to say I have faith when I have to trust in nothing but my bank account. Trust in nothing but my own perfect health or whatever I'm going through. Our faith is tested when it becomes beyond our control and we have to put it all in God's hands and we have to say, Lord, I can't do this. You have to do it. That's faith when you say, Lord, I put it in your hands. I trust you and I know you're going to come through. And guess what? He will. God's faithful. You know, I think sometimes we forget just how much God loves us. You know, I have a new grandson and I, you know, I weep when I hold him. Why? Because I love him so much I can hardly stand it. But you know what? I think I'm an imperfect grandpa. I'm an imperfect father. How much more does God love us? Amen? Would I do harm to my grandson? Are you kidding me? I would do harm to anybody who tried to do harm to him. Amen? And the same is true about our God. He loves us. He knows what is best for us. Faith is simply saying, Lord, you know what's best for me. I trust you. I put my life into your hands and I'm going to follow you no matter what. Because Lord, no matter what happens, you know what's best. Amen? And older men are sound in faith. Not only are they sound in faith, but it says they're, they're also sound in love. You know what? Someone who's spiritually mature is not hard and cynical. 
Amen? Sometimes you get the view of an older man as being, you know, crusty, curmudgeon, right? And I've known a few of those. I know we all have. No matter what you say, it's, you know, you met those guys, right? I've gone to church with a few. I had a few of my dad's seniors class in San Jose. I won't name any names because that'd be wrong. But, you know, some of them, man, it's just no matter what's happening, they just got the worst of everything. Well, yeah. Nah. And they try, then they'll try to tell you, well, I've been walking with God for 50 years. Well, why don't you act like it? Amen? What? Where's the joy of the Lord? Amen? If you've been hanging out with the Lord for 50 years, you ought, we ought to be scraping you off the ceiling. Amen? <laughs> As opposed to somebody walks around. Older men are sound in love. They're not hard and cynical. You know, young man, the world's going to chew you up and spit you out. Going to be rough. Lord, may we spread love and joy, not depression and hardness. And again, it's sweet to see an older person who, though they've been through great difficulty and trials, still have a a softness and a gentleness and a love for God and a love for others. There's something sweet about a senior saint who has that kind of a heart. You just want to hang out with them. Amen? So sound in faith, in love, and in patience. The word patience there is hupomone, which means not to strive. You know, Everything doesn't have to be done in five minutes. Amen? And so often we struggle in our prayer life because we think God's not answering quick enough. Go through the Bible. How long? Watch how long people pray for things sometimes. We pray for a week or a month or even a year and we think, oh man, what's God doing? But you know what? As we mature in faith, as we get older in our faith, as we've been walking with God for a while, we come to the place where we understand that we pray in our time and God answers in His perfect time. And we should never try to speed God up because we've done it in the past and it never worked out. Amen? Ask anybody who's been praying for something and then try to force God's hand. What could be dumber than that? Trying to make God do something that God's saying, Wait. You know, he answers every prayer. Yes, no, and wait. Amen? And wait is a good answer. Because we don't get it. We look with a finite mind. The illustration I used to use when I was a youth pastor is, you know, we're sitting between two buildings, and a parade is going by. And all we see is what's right in front of us. But the illustration I used to use is like God's in a helicopter, and he sees the beginning from the end, and he knows what's coming next, and he knows that his timing is perfect, and he's going to do it for you because he loves you. Trust him. So be patient, entering into God's rest. Be willing to wait upon the Lord, one who has experienced God's grace and because of it has learned to be patient. There's the example of an older man. Boy, could we use some of them. Amen? That should be the heart of every young man. That should be the heart of every man to say, Lord, I want to have that heart. I want that example. I want to be that kind of a man. Then, He moves on to speak about older women. You know, often in churches, older women will sometimes feel like, well, what can I contribute? Can I tell you that more of this text speaks to older women than anyone else? Why? Because you have a high calling, and God wants to do great and awesome things through you. Now, who are the older women? 
I don't want to, I'm not old. Well, I think the qualification would be this, and I'm going to be in trouble because some of you are going to go, well, I didn't think I was old, but now I think I am, and now, you know. But realistically, it's women who have raised all their kids. Their kids have come through their home. They've raised their children. Their children are all out of the house now. And now they're in that situation where their ministry before was to their children. It continues to be toward their husband if they're married, but also now God has freed them up to be an example to the younger women because they've been the ones who've already walked those steps. They've been the ones who've already gone that direction and they can go back and it's said experience is the best teacher. It doesn't have to be your experience. Often God can use somebody who's already been there to minister to you. And we need some Titus two women today. Older women, once the kids are out of the house, a couple of things you can do. They can say, well, okay, now I get to go out and begin my life. Or they may say, I've lost my sphere of influence. What am I going to do? But older women are not to retire. They still have a great ministry to fulfill. You understand that the families in Crete were living in a very deprived society. That's where this letter was written to. And there was a need for a Christian example and instruction among young wives and mothers. Older women were to bring a biblical perspective to the younger women to nurture a godliness among the young. I love this again because, boy, do we need that today. You know what? We get all these examples. Women are being told today that being a mom is a second-rate job. I'm getting ahead of myself here. There's no higher calling on this planet. Amen? To raise kids to love God. And we'll talk about that as we get to the text later about younger women. But here older women have a calling to minister to the younger women. To reach out to them. And look what it says of older women. The older women likewise, that they be reverent in behavior. Again, just like the older men. Living a life consecrated to the Lord. Sober-minded. Worthy of respect. They're unlike the world. Christian women should be different than the world. And I'm talking about in practical ways. In the way that you dress, in your attitude, and in your outward actions. I truly believe that we ought to dress totally different. Amen? That we shouldn't be following the styles of the world and dressing in a way that is inappropriate, but dressing in a way that is reverent, that's what he's talking about here, that honors God. It's not stumbling your brother. So what does it mean? It's one who pursues and walks in holiness, one who is worthy of respect, one who has not only outward actions, but inward character. And then it says this, be reverent in behavior, not slanderers. It's interesting, the word in Greek there is diablos. It's a translation of that word, which where you get the word what? Devils. He says, not slanderers, and the word for slanderers could also be not devils. Now, I'm not picking on anybody, but I do find it interesting that he talks about slander with the women. I'm sorry. If we tell, all of us are prone to it, but let's be honest. There's men, or, men tend to be more prone to pride and anger often, and women sometimes to slander and gossip. It's just reality. Now, we all struggle with all of it. But I don't think he's saying, look, an older woman, now that she has free time on her hands, there's a couple things she can do. She can either be ministering to younger women or talking about them, right? She can either be someone who's a source of ministry, source of encouragement, or somebody who now has some free time 
and uses it in a way that does not honor God. Someone who becomes an accuser of the brethren. Satan was the father of lies. And older women are not to fall into the temptations that come from idleness. Things like gossip and slander and false accusations. It's not in the Bible, but it's true. Idle hands are indeed the devil's workshop often. So it's important that, okay, now I've got this free time. How do I spend it? Can I encourage you, if, if you have no direction, you're going to end up exactly where you're headed. Nowhere. You know, we need some direction, amen? We need, Lord, okay, Lord, this is a new time in my life. Lord, you've got gifts in my, what do you want me to do? Go to the women's study and be a table leader and gather some younger women around you and invest in their lives. If you see a young mom here in church, maybe just invite her out to lunch and just love on her and minister to her. There are young women in our church that don't have a godly mom to turn to. You can be that person. And God wants to use you. But not only does it say they're not slanderers, not given too much wine. This is another potential temptation of idleness. Alcoholism is very high among older women and was then and same tendencies are true today. Not to be gossips, slanderers, or drinkers, but living lives set apart unto holiness, sanctified and set apart unto God. So here's her behavior. She's not one who gossips about others. She's one who's reverent, lives a holy life. She's not someone who drinks. She's not someone who's, you know, living that kind of a lifestyle. But then it says, here's what she is. She's a teacher of good things. She passes on godly wisdom gained through experience to the next generation. Again, many have not seen one good example in their homes or lives growing up. Not one. And that's why God will often bring those older women into, our, into their lives. Now, watch and see now as we move on. There's seven things that the older women are to teach the younger women. Seven things we're going to see in the next few verses. As we move through them, let me encourage you. If you're a note taker, write them down. Especially if you're an older woman or you think you might be one day. Write it down. These are seven things we see in Scripture that are practical ministry that ought to be functioning in the body of Christ and ought to be functioning in Calvary Chapel, Santa Cruz. Amen? So, it says here, And they admonish the young women. So now we move on to the life of younger women. But we're going to notice the direct connection between the older women and how they minister to the younger women and then the things that the younger women ought to take note of that ought to be evidences in their lives. And again, experience is one of the best teachers for sure and it doesn't have to be ours. So here are seven things that are to admonish, to exhort, to, to teach with a, a sense of urgency and a sense of forcefulness. Here's what they are. Number one. They admonish the young women to love their husbands. Now you would think that's an automatic. But the word there for love is agape. And, and the exhortation here is to make their marriage a priority in their lives. Second only to her relationship to Christ. Sometimes uh, you look at people and you wonder why they've gotten married. Because their relationship is such a low priority. 
It's often behind their career and their hobbies and friendships and then their marriages down the list somewhere. Can I encourage you that the very clear picture in the Bible of marriage, it's a picture of Christ and the church. We are his bride and he laid down his life for us. Amen? Grooms, lay down your life for your wife and wives. Make your husbands a priority. As we're going to see, even above your children. Sometimes what happens, the children come and the, pro- the father's not even, the husband, it's almost like he's not even there. But the exhortation here is to love their husbands, to make him a priority. Teach younger women that their marriage is to be the priority, second only to their walk with God. In Crete, people like today were very self-absorbed and self-centered. The city was known to be filled with just idolatry and laziness and gluttons and, and gossip and murmuring. And marriages then and still in many parts of the world today were arranged. So the marriages were arranged. So love had to be a choice. Love had to be, okay, you need to choose to love your husband. Love is still a choice today. It's not a feeling. I I get so tired of people saying, well, I don't love her anymore. I lost the feeling. The butterflies went away. Oh, stop. You know what? Here's the reality. Here's the reality. You better get past some butterflies. Amen? Love is a choice. And it's choosing to love even when the other person isn't always lovable. Amen? It's not loving when they're lovable. I'm glad, that's, I'm glad my wife loves me not, even when I'm not lovable or she'd be mad at me a lot. You know, that's the truth. So here's the reality. The older women are to admonish younger women about their marriages. Older women, some of whom may have had their husbands go to be with the Lord, had endured difficult times, could speak from a position of both wisdom and experience and could say, look, I've been where you are. I've come what you've come through. And this time that you have with your husband is short and you ought to cherish it while you can. Who can say amen to that? There's no, I know there are women here whose husbands have gone to be with the Lord and they would say to young women, you know what? This is a special time. Cherish this time while you can. We need those who can, who can come and admonish us to make our marriages a priority. To make their marriage second only to Christ. But notice what's next. To admonish young women to love their husbands and to love their children. That's the second point. To love their husbands, to love their children. To make them a priority. To see loving and raising godly children as a calling and a ministry. For the wife and the mother, her home is to be the number one priority. Her first place of ministry. The number one calling of a wife and mother is to love and minister to her husband and her children. Above her ministry in the church, above her career, above her hobbies, above her friends. I know that's not popular in the world we live in today, but it's biblical. Amen? We live in a world today that, well, you know, what do you just stay home with your kids all day? What is that? How do you, how do you feel fulfilled? Yeah, go out and make money that's going to perish instead of spending time with your kids who are eternal. Tell me how that makes sense. Amen? Now, I'm not saying there aren't times when moms have to go out and work as a part of God's provision for their family, but I will say this. I believe without a doubt that God's highest is for mom to be at home investing her life in her children, and it's not something that we should mock or look down upon, but it ought to be praised. Amen? So be encouraged. 
Society may look down on the calling of a loving wife and mother and see it as a lack of real accomplishment, but the truth is there's more, no more strategic position of influence in the world than being a mom. You've heard this non-biblical saying, but there's some truth to it. The hand that rocks the cradle rules the world. You know, Godly moms are far more influential in their children's lives than any teacher, any friend, any elected official. Be a godly wife and mother. It impacts not only society here and now, but it impacts eternity. It says in 3 John, I know no greater joy than to know my children walk in the truth. There's no amount of earthly riches. There's no sense of worldly accomplishment. For a godly mom, nothing can compare to the joy of raising godly children. Guys, we can get to the end of our life and look back. I've been on the deathbed with people. Many times I've never had anybody say to me, I wish I had made more money. I wish I had worked more. I wish I had had a bigger house. I wish I had gotten that car I always would. You know what they say? Almost always, especially if they're a believer. I wish I had done more for the kingdom and I had spent more time with my kids and my wife. Almost every time. Why? Because you become to realize that everything else is perishing, but our families are not. That ought to be the priority of the young women in the church and the older women should be those who exhort and encourage them to be godly wives and godly moms. Proverbs 31.10 says, Who can find a virtuous wife? For her worth is far above rubies. At the same time, few things are as foolish as to neglect the God-ordained calling of a loving wife and mother in order to pursue things, again, that are passing away. You know, while it's a high calling, often for a young mom, it can be overwhelming. Especially of several small children. And sometimes they can almost feel like, I need to get out of here. I need an escape. I need to go get a job and let someone else raise my kids. Put them in date. Why? I just can't. This is too much. This is such a time when an older woman can be such a blessing to come alongside and say, Hey, can I encourage you? What you're doing is impacting your kids for eternity. Let me tell you my experience. Let me encourage you in that. Let me admonish you. Let me not, you know, as the world te- tears them down for being a full-time mom, may we encourage them. The world will tell us that your husband shouldn't be the priority and your children shouldn't be the priority. You should be the priority. Turn on any of these shows during the day. What a waste of time. But you turn those things on and what do they say? It's all about you. You need to think more about yourself. You need to invest in yourself more. You need to take some time for you. Oh, stop. Here's the problem. The problem is we're too focused on self. Amen? Nobody has to tell me to think about myself more. I think about myself way too much. Amen? Anybody else bear witness with that? I'm always on my mind, aren't you? Always. And here's the reality. I need to stop thinking about me and start first and foremost thinking about God and then thinking about how I can serve others as one called by Him. Amen? Amen? That needs to be happening in the body of Christ. To be a mom is an incredible blessing. 
to have a child knit together by God in your womb, to give birth to a brand new life, to love, feed, care for, clothe, protect, nurture this precious little life from the day your child is born into adulthood, to watch them grow, to mend their wounds, to instruct and disciple them, to love them unconditionally even after they've moved out and have children of their own. Don't ever think that being a parent isn't the highest calling there is. It really is. And it's a get-to, amen? May we never lose sight of that. Don't ever let the world convince you of anything different. And I'll say this at the same time. Those of you who maybe were never married or never had children, know that God has a special calling on your lives as well. God has you where you are for a reason. And you are freed up to do things that maybe a young mom with a bunch of small children can't. And you can be a source of ministry to them. And in so doing, you're helping them be able to raise their kids in a godly environment. So no matter where you are, whatever stage of life, God has a desire to use each and every one of us. So be faithful to do what God has called you to do. To be a godly wife, a godly wife and mother, or one whose passions can be fully focused on Him because those times have passed. Then it says, the third thing we see in verse 5, not only to love their husbands, to love their children, but to be discreet. Boy, this is a word that has pretty much gone away from our language. You ever hear that word anywhere anymore? Be discreet? Usually they're saying that in the wrong context, like be discreet about that life so no one finds out. But we're to be discreet. What does that mean? It means sober-minded and self-controlled wise and prudent in their conduct, to live a disciplined wife. So the older women are to admonish the younger women to live lives of discretion. You know, it's often true. Can't blame our parents but for everything, but undisciplined parents will, will often raise undisciplined children. And older women are to admonish the younger women to live sober-minded, self-controlled, disciplined wives. Then he says, not only... Are they to admonish them to love their husbands, to love their children, to be discreet? But here's another word that I'll go years without hearing. To be chaste. What does that mean? To be pure in mind and pure in thought. Remember, they're living amongst one of the most depraved people on the planet. And a Christian wife is to be faithful to her husband in mind, in heart, and in action. She is to be a woman of purity, again, in the way she dresses, in the words that she speaks, in the thoughts that she entertains. A woman of modesty who does not stumble men with her parents, nor one who flirts with her words. The word chaste means to be of godly appearance, speech, and thoughts. Thoughts that honor God and things that are faithful to your husband. You know what? I say this about our kids and about our spouse. Whatever you say, you should be able to say with your wife standing next to you and your kids sitting on your lap. Amen? It ought to be, that ought to be your behavior. Those ought to be your actions. And here's the exhortation that young women live chaste lives. If young women understood, even for 30 seconds, the mind of a young man, they would wear eight layers of clothing. It's so true. There's a reason why God gives young women dads. Oh, no, 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 you're not, no. Go back upstairs and put on a jacket or something. Why? Because God, men used to be young men and they know, oh, that's, no. Just remember, young women, what you use for bait will determine what you catch. Amen? I'm going to write that down. But it's true. 
If you use your physical attraction, don't be surprised when that's all he cares about. You know what a godly man is attracted to? A godly woman. You want a godly man, be a godly woman. You don't have to try to flaunt the way you dress because all you're going to do is catch a guy. All he cares about is my, me physically. Well, guess what? That's how you, that's how you uh, tracked him down. It says, admonish them to, be, to love their husbands, to be discreet, chaste. Here's another, homemakers. What? Literally, the word is workers in the home, cleanliness and order in the home, the feeding of her family. These are priorities for a godly wife and mother. She is the one who truly makes a house a home. Amen? Guys, if we were in charge, what a disaster. My stuff would just stay in the boxes when you move. Why put stuff up? right? But you know what? My wife, and I'm sure, you know, she makes our house a home. Everything's got a place and everything, you know, and you walk in and you just feel like you're at home. And that's a calling that a wife has. Husbands should come home from work and walk in the door and feel, I'm at home. Because my wife's made it not just a house, but a home. It's not easy to raise a family, discipline the children, keep the house clean, and have dinner on the table. But know that God not only admonishes young women to do so and uses older women and his word to do it, but he will reward those who are faithful. A mother's love is not only heard in her words, but it's seen in her actions. And a clean, comfortable home with a family that's well-fed and cared for is a great picture of a loving mom. Amen? It's often the little things that reflect a mother's love. I remember as a kid, just little things. I don't know why certain things stick out. But I remember coming home from football practice and it would be pouring down rain and my dad would pick me up and, you know, I'd come home and maybe I'm 11 or 12 years old and I walk in the door and my mom would greet me with, you know, a towel just out of the dryer and a bowl of chili. You know, and stuff like that, it's like, oh, you know, that's a mom thing, isn't it? God, your dad would never put a, towel in the dryer for you there's no way that's ever gonna happen. say man suck it up get upstairs and get clean you know that's what would happen but you know it's those things that make a house a home walk in the door and chili on the table and chocolate chip cookies in the oven man life is good with busy schedules and kids going in all different directions, it's not always easy or even possible, but it should be the desire of a godly wife and mother to truly make her house a home. And I, my prayer is that you wouldn't walk out of here feeling overwhelmed like this is impossible. It's not impossible if God get, has called you to do it. Amen? Then he says, homemakers, good. Good can be translated kind. She doesn't rule over the children and her household with an iron fist. But as it says in Proverbs 31, 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and her tongue, and in her tongue is the law of kindness. Boy, this seems overwhelming, doesn't it? A clean house, a warm meal, and a kind heart. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Amen? I also believe this points to the fact that a godly wife and a mother, it helps establish the difference between good and evil in the eyes of her children. Our kids ought to know what good is and what evil is by looking at us. Amen? By the things we stand for and the things that we stand against. They should not be getting a great picture from mom and dad. Remember, call to be good. And this is the midst of the evil, evil Cretans. Verse 7 thing we see, 
that the word of God may not be blasphemed. That the word of God, oh no, wait, obedient to, oh, some of you women were like, I was good. He went right by that. He missed it. It says good and then finally obedient to their own husbands. I took that word obey out of my vows. I'm not, I'm not doing that. Obey, scratch that, pastor. Right? You know what? While the woman is busy at home, let me make it very clear. The Bible is very clear. It's the husband whose God is called to be the spiritual leader. Young women were to submit to their husbands, acknowledge and support his role as the leader of the household. Ephesians 5 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church, and he is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let wives be subject to their husbands in everything. But then... The part husbands sometimes forget to read. Got to keep reading. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. You know what? I have found that a man who lays down his life for his wife is a man whose wife has no problem submitting to him. Amen? If he's laying down his life for her, if he's willing to die for her, if he's serving her, if he's ministering to her, and let me say this too, and I'm going to get in a little bit of trouble, but I feel feel convicted to say it, so I'm going to say it. Husbands should be the primary breadwinner in their household. Amen? I'm sorry, I just don't, I don't get it. I don't get it when a wife's working two jobs and a husband's laying around watching. That's sin. Amen? That's just wrong. And you know what? A wife has a hard time respecting a husband who's not being what God's called him to be, which is, in Genesis, he said, you will toil by the sweat of your brow all the days of your life. That's the word of God, amen? Women are exhorted to be homemakers. Men are exhorted to be breadwinners. But I can't find a job. You're not looking hard. Keep trying. Amen? I'm not saying we don't. We're in a tough economic time. I know there's times we go without work. But if you're not, going, if you're not working and you're laying around watching TV, you need to make a job out of getting a job. Amen? I mean, man, it's getting real quiet in here. We, not, we might not meet as, need as big a sanctuary in Scotts Valley after this one. <laughs> says this, that the word of God may not be blasphemed. Their actions in the midst of a deprived and evil people should reflect that there is indeed something radically different about those who follow Christ. Their belief is reflected in their behavior. It shows how important it is for older women to teach these things. Why? Because it brings glory and honor to the name of God. And if it's not done, the name of God is blasphemed as women of God live just like everyone else. It's sad to see the way family problems and even divorces among Christians can cause unsafe people to sneer at the Bible. Our belief, belief must impact our behavior that God might be glorified. Younger women are like, can we get past me at some point? Next, in the life of a young man, Titus 2.6 says, Likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. Likewise, linking the word in, after the same manner, after this proper behavior becoming a belief among older women and older men, and now younger women, there is also one under younger men. And notice, they give all these verses and all these words for the older, older women and younger women. You get to the younger man, and basically all it says is live sober-minded. He's going to expand on that in a moment. You know why? Because that's about all he can take. You know, young men are 
There's an intensity. I implore, invoke, beseech young men. Why? Because they need to be. And he says there that they be what? And we'll get back to that verse in a moment. They be sober-minded. The word there is self-controlled. Teach these young men that they can control themselves. That they must control themselves. This is not an option. And again, it seems like a short list after such a long list for the young women. But for a young man, self-control is a big list in and of itself. A lesson all young men must learn is to live carefully, to take life seriously. Again, easier said than done. Young men tend to be quick to respond to what their flesh wants and slow to do what the Lord requires. Young men tend to see themselves as invincible. They produce an attitude of, I can do whatever I want, and in the end, I'll be okay. I can respond to my fleshly passions and escape the potential desires. I can blow off my responsibilities, and in, in, the, in the end, I'll be okay. Fleshly passions and fleshly comfort giving direction to most young men's lives. They're men led by the flesh and not led by the Spirit. And the exhortation here is that they live sober-minded. How in the world can a young man do that? Seems almost impossible. Only through the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says, The fruit of the Holy Spirit is love and joy and peace and kindness and goodness and gentleness and self-control. And the young man needs to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to live a godly life. I shared this on a Wednesday. I'm going to share it again. I hope it doesn't appear to be self-serving. Forgive me if it does. Most of you know, though, I just had a grandson three weeks ago. And his name is Titus. And he was born on 2-6. And so we were in the waiting room, and as I was waiting to go in to see my grandson and to see my daughter as they were getting them ready, I remember sitting in the waiting room, I was with Gary, and I was thinking, I wonder what Titus 2-6 says. My young grandson, Titus, born on 2-6. And I have to tell you, I was pretty excited when I opened the Bible, and it says, likewise, exhort the young men to be sober-minded. But what's amazing is not just that verse, but how God used it, because Many of you know my daughter went in many times to the hospital and there was some disappointment that several times we thought she was going to have the baby and she didn't. But God knew that Titus needed to be born on 2-6, not just so that this verse would impact his life, but it would impact the lives of others and it had a huge impact on my oldest son, Johnny. So let me read this to you and Lord help me. I shared this on a Wednesday night a few weeks back and we need to keep praying for him, but it's pretty awesome how God works. God is a sovereign God. So my son Johnny, some of you know, has been going through a really tough time. I've been very transparent. I will never pretend to be the perfect parent or to have the perfect family. We're all sinners saved by grace. Amen? We're one beggar leading another beggar to the bread. So my son Johnny is now at Bible College in Hawaii, and he sent this letter out on his Facebook to everybody he knows. And here's what it says. So last time I saw you, I was kind of living, leaving on bad terms. But I wanted to send out a letter to give you an update of where I am today. Well, after I got expelled two and a half months ago, my life took a downward spiral and I pretty much gave up on caring about anything or anybody. I got into a lot of gnarly things with a lot of gnarly people and I really didn't like the person I was becoming. I was looking for joy and thought I could find it through drugs, but it was only brought more depression and confusion. My relationship with my parents was not strong and threats by my dad to kick me out of the house were a common thing and that's true. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. About two weeks ago, I decided I was going to move out of the house and do my own thing. Within a matter of a week, God took my life and flipped it inside out. 
I was on my own partying and living the life, supposedly, but still wasn't experiencing the joy I was looking for. After a weekend on my own and having no one to support me, I wanted to go back home. I still wasn't ready to give up my rebellious lifestyle. On Wednesday morning of February 4th, my dad told me that I was either kicked out of the house or was coming to Kauai, Hawaii to Bible college. I wasn't ready to live on my own, and my best friend Brittany was out there going to school, so I figured, why not? The next two nights, I was still out partying, doing my own thing, but on February 6th, all my priorities changed. My sister Ashley has been a huge part of my life growing up. Her baby was born that Friday morning. Titus Michael Utility was the miracle needed to get my attention. My plane for Hawaii was leaving on Saturday morning, so that night I decided to celebrate. I just found this out reading the letter. It's pretty tragic. I ended up in a hotel room smoking crystal meth, which was something I was never down to do. And every hit I took, I felt my brain was just getting fried, and it was not a good feeling at all. On my way home that night, I felt more alone and depressed than I've ever felt in my life. When I got home, my dad walked into my room and was talking about his first grandson coming. And coming from a Christian home, we decided to look up Titus 2.6 to see his life verse since he was born on 2.6. And it reads, I exhort you young men that you live sober-minded. That instant, it was like someone turned on a switch, and I realized that everything I was doing to myself my family, but most importantly to my Savior. Right then I rededicated my life to the Lord and made a promise to serve Him with a whole heart. Immediately I had a peace in my heart that I had, never, that I had not felt in a long time. God knew exactly where I would be at that point in time and knew exactly what it would take to get my attention. Since that night I've been living in Hawaii and been rebuilding my relationship with the Lord one step, of a, one step at a time. He has become my best friend and is everything to me. I want this letter to show you that no matter where you're at, God is always in control. And when you feel like you've hit rock bottom, he will blow you away with how truly awesome he is. The next time I see you, I'm going to be a different person, but not because of anything I did, but because of what Christ did for me at the cross of Calvary. I love you all and hope that you will not have to go through what I did to see how amazing of a God we serve. With all my love, John. Likewise, I exhort you, young men, that you live sober-minded. Praise God, amen. Let's finish up. I know we're over time. Half of you are already leaving after this chapter anyway, so. Verse 7, I'm kidding. It says, In all things, showing yourself to be a pattern of good works, in doctrine, showing integrity, reverence, and incorruptibility. Titus was a young man and was to be living a pattern for all other young men to follow. Young men need a pattern to follow, a model, not only in word but in deed. And the truth can both be caught and taught. And Titus was not only to tell them what they must do, but was to show it to them in his behavior. Titus was a teacher and an example, a pattern of good works for others to follow. You know, pray for Johnny. His heart is that he would be able to go back to Monta Vista at Senior Chapel and get up in front of all of his friends who knew the life he was living and tell them that there's a better way. And, I, you know, I don't know if the school is going to be open for that because he didn't leave on the best terms. But, you know, it ought to be our heart that we would live in a way that has an impact on others. Amen? And then he tells them, in doctrine, showing integrity, in the way that you teach, so integrity. Don't mix anything with the truth. Add nothing to it. Take nothing from it. Mix nothing with it. 
Titus, you're a young man, but proclaim the truth and do it with boldness. He used the word reverence, having full appreciation of the seriousness of what you do. Anybody who teaches three five-year-olds ought to have reverence to what they're teaching. Amen? He says incorruptibility. The word there means without waxed. Honest, honesty that doesn't melt in the heat of adversity. Then he says there's sound speech that cannot be condemned. We need to have healthy speech, speech that is pure and sound and graceful and edifying, not filthiness and foolish talking or coarse jesting. The Bible says that the overflowing of a man's heart, his mouth speaks. Words don't slip out, they pour out of our heart. Amen? That one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. I will say this, this letter went out to a lot of people. I've had a few people mock the letter itself and say, well, he'll come back here, he'll be doing drugs within a week. And I've told him, well, that's possible. Pray for him. Pray for him. But my prayer is that he's going to live a life in such a way that has an impact on others that one who is an opponent may be ashamed having nothing evil to say of you. And that ought to be true for us. Young men, young women, older men, older women, a person who is sound in doctrine and holy in life, that no evil can be rightly alleged against us. Speech should be pure. A pastor's speech, as he speaks to Titus, is something that should be able to stand without rebuke. He is neither a hypocrite in word or in action. The same man in private as in public. The same man in the pulpit and the same man in his house. Finally, behavior becoming of a believer. I know we're going over. Let me just finish this quickly. He exhorts bondservants. This is all of us. Here's what it says. To be obedient to their own masters. Okay, bondservant could also be entitled employee. To be well-pleasing in all things, not answering back, not pilfering, but showing all good fidelity that we may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. Guys, when we go to work, our number one reason for being there is to be salt and light. It's God's way of providing for our family. We need to be obedient. The word used for a company of soldiers who's ready for orders, and when they receive them, they go out and do it with all their might. To be well-pleasing in all things. The attitude of a Christian worker should be that he should be the best worker in the building, ready and willing to do whatever your boss asks, looking to please him. Now again, as long as he doesn't tell you to do something contradictory to the word of God. Not answering back. How many of us have ever been guilty of answering back to your boss? Haven't we? As Christians, we don't always get the crummy job. I've been longer than that guy. How come? It ought to be, you bet. Let me do it. And let me honor God in the way I do it. Amen? Guys, we're there to honor God, not to have people see yet another hypocrite. Not pilfering, not stealing from your boss. The word can also refer to embezzling. The people in Crete were lazy gluttons and liars, and they needed a standard for behavior. And sadly, again, billions being stolen from employers every single year. Some say it is a part of the way of getting more fairly compensated. You know, they owe me. They don't pay me enough. I'm just taking what is rightfully mine. So common in the ancient world that the word servant and thief were used interchangeably. May employee and thief not be used interchangeably when it comes to us. Years ago, I was visiting a relative in Houston, one of my uncles. He was showing me around his company, and walking through the warehouse, he said something that startled me. When I asked him about his security, he said the alarm system kept the outside thieves from stealing, but couldn't keep the inside ones. 
And he went on to say, all employees steal. I just try to keep it to a minimum. I go, come on, all employees steal. He goes, yeah, all employees steal, all. Well, what do you mean? Well, they make long-distance phone calls. They make personal copies on the copier. They take office supplies home. They come in late and they leave early when I'm paying them for a full day. As Christians, may it not be so. We shouldn't take even a paperclip without permission. If it's not yours, don't take it. Give a full day's work for a full day's pay. And then he says, but showing all good fidelity, that's honesty. A Christian should be honest, able to be fully trusted with a pen or with a million dollars. And then it says, finishing off, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. The word adorn is to shine brightly, to take precious jewels and arrange them so as to show their true beauty. At the same time, we can show the beauty of the gospel and the way that we live. We often think we need better words to adorn the gospel, but what we really need are better lives. Amen? Your coworker is going to be more impacted by the life you live than the words that you speak. And Lord, help us to live in such a way that people recognize that something is different, that the gospel is adorned by our behavior, not inhibited by it. So in closing, and thanks for your patience this morning, behavior is becoming Behavior that's becoming a belief, the practice of sound doctrine in the life of an older man, in the life of an older woman, in the life of a younger woman, in the life of a young man, and in the actions of Christian servants and employees. Lord, help us to be more than Christians in name, to be more than Christians on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, but to live a life set apart for Jesus Christ 24 hours a day, seven days a week that draws people unto him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. And we thank you, Lord, that you are such a faithful and a sovereign God. Lord, I pray for anybody here this morning, Lord, that your word has ministered to. Lord, that you would continue to draw them unto yourself. Lord, I do pray you'd raise up spiritually mature men that can minister to the younger men. Spiritually mature women that can minister to the younger women. Lord, that young women would not be ashamed to be called a mom and a wife, but would realize what a high calling that is. The young men would be sober-minded, not men controlled by their emotions and the lust of their heart, but men who walk in the fullness of your Holy Spirit. And Lord, help us to take that behavior to our workplace, to honor you, Lord, to live in a way that would draw people unto you. Lord, we love you. We praise you. You are a great and an awesome God. And we thank you that you're a God who hears our prayers and answers them. You are so faithful. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Let's stand and close the worship song.